but I can't see you. So now I just feel lost and dejected. It's for the best, really. That bad, huh? And it's also for the laziest because I don't feel like reorganizing the camera at the moment. What did you do? Is this is this part of your great rewiring project? That yes. Been indefinitely delayed. <clears throat> As is tradition, this mm -hmm. is you know it goes into the category of oh this will only take uh what ten, few 15, hours now ten fifteen minutes tops four days later. So, oh, how many yeah. times have you been to the hardware store? <laughs> I don't remember renting the jackhammer. But I'm glad that it's here. <laughs> this floor can't be here. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, listen, if I don't have underground conduit, what do I really have? Uh, nothing. That, exactly. That, that's, one would say you're at rock bottom. <laughs> oh God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> there, there was a there was a point in my office where I was considering rewiring some things, and I was seriously considering, like opening up the wall to do things and that's when i knew i had to stop yeah take a step back and go what are you really trying to accomplish here because i bet you could do it without any of that and yeah I that's that way lies madness and a lot of expensive contractors because <laughs> yeah, i should never be opening a wall that's not something i should say unless i'm destroying an entire house and then fine yeah okay that's, that's like permanent yes permanent <laughs> this yeah. is never going to be reconstructed Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, but otherwise, you're not you're not feeling you're not feeling super sunny. That's that stinks. I guess I'm going to have to carry the conversation as usual. <laughs> well, well done. Set yourself up and knock yourself down. That's right. Well, I it's it's a good thing that I wrote a lot for this oh, I didn't. It's all bullet points. Yeah, you wrote a solid 20 30 words. <laughs> But I've been thinking you. real hard about things, so that counts, right? <clears throat> right? No. We should just we should just start. Okay. Let's start. Hello, alleged human, and welcome to the Chaos Lever Podcast. My name is Ned, and I'm definitely not a robot. I am certainly not a replicant, completely unimpacted by logical paradoxes. Saying this statement is false, it does not fill me with existential dread. I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. I'm not weeping saline material from my ocular orbs. You are. <laughs> With me is Chris, who is also mostly here. I'm like a solid 51%. <laughs> I mean, that is a majority. Exactly. You could potentially win an election or lose one. You know. All depends. <laughs> depends on the rules Deal. we're playing by. The Electoral College of My Own Emotions. <laughs> that is an episode title right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. So let's talk about some tech garbage, huh? Do and it. What better tech garbage to talk about than AI? Because you just simply can't avoid it at the moment. No. No, you cannot. So, I don't know about I actually, you. Actually, oh, it's... I saw this... Um, you know how they do that thing on Twitter where they don't just write a short thought and then move on? They have like 57 posts that are all connected to each other. Could have been a blog. Yeah. So somebody did one of those, and I didn't read it at all because I don't believe in that sort of thing. Okay. But the first line was 
pretty interesting. And it was something along the lines of over the past 12 months, over 1,000 products have come onto the software market that have the word AI in them. And of those, approximately two have actual AI? Is that? <laughs> oh, you didn't read that part. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's... So I don't want to try to take a look at the AI whitewashing that's been happening because that happens with every new hot trend. Like, I don't know, a year ago, everything was Web3 enabled and crypto ready, right? On the blockchain. On the blockchain. And I think that, so I have a bunch of different points to, to mention, but I also want to let listeners know that I've assembled a bunch of resources that I found useful when trying to think about the AI conversation and topic. And we'll include all of those links in the show notes. And depending on how you like to consume your media, there's a bunch of options. So some are long form articles. There's a whole PDF from an actual like institution of academia. Then there's YouTube videos and then there's podcasts. So like pick your poison or do them all, you know, whatever, whatever works for you. Um, but you touched on one thing that I wanted to maybe not lead off with, but we might as well. And that's why is AI so popular right now? And it can't just be because ChatGPT exists, right? That, that can't be the whole reason. And I think it's because investors need a new shiny thing. And crypto, we could call that like a burnout husk, basically. Like we tore right through that. Learn no lessons. <laughs> None whatsoever. <laughs> now we just call them NFTs. Right. And so now investors need something new and shiny to get all excited about and dump all their, you know, LP money into. And it looks like AI is the thing. Yeah. And it's it's not just that. People get all excited about it. They make jokes about um, computers taking over the world. But from the business perspective, what one company sees another company do oftentimes becomes what that company needs to do too, lest there, they be left behind. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely a FOMO aspect here <clears throat> from a business perspective. So if you're – there's like a couple different sides. So like if you're a startup today and you aren't working on something AI related, there's a good chance you're not going to get investor money. So you kind of, I feel like you almost have to pack it into your solution, whether it has anything to do with your product or not. Right. Hence, we have the thousand new software applications or whatever that have AI in them. And there is, I mean, one of the other problems from a market perspective is I don't think there's a solid definition that everybody agrees on in terms of what AI is. Right. And that is both... Uh, a pro and a con, I guess, to a certain. Well, it's definitely a con, but uh, in every every way you could mean that term. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so in, in to a certain degree, that also indicates how new the field is in terms of market entrance, and that there is no dominant player established yet. There's plenty of open area for startups to come in and sort of claim their own space. It's sort of the Wild West at the moment. Unlike some other fields where there are just established companies like search. Like, it's really hard for a startup to come into the search world and disrupt everything, right? Maybe they can do with AI, I don't know. 
But because AI is such a, just a blanket term and covers so many things, you can sprinkle that magic AI dust on whatever you're working on and say, we are going to be the, the Uber of AI or whatever, and let people decide what they think that might mean. It's provocative. Gets, gets the, people the people going. going. <laughs> so I think we have a problem. We have a systemic problem where we're always worried about missing out on the next big thing. And we're always jumping to uh, chase the new trend or the new hot thing because everything needs to be not only growing, but accelerating in growth, which is, you know, impossible. But we're going to try to do it anyway. Right. That's probably a topic for another time. <laughs> <laughs> I want to stay somewhat focused on AI. So as another piece of context, the introduction of large language models or LLMs and the the GPT technology that sits in front of them to do this transformation, um, to a certain degree, that changed everything in the last six months or so. And I, part of, I guess, 12 months, I guess that's probably where we're at right now. Um, I think one of the number one reasons is because the interface that we're being presented with now through something like ChatGPT, chat GPT resembles text messaging or instant messaging, instant messaging more than anything. Cause it feels like you're having a conversation with something. And because we associate conversations with people, it's really easy for us to pretend that there's another person on the other end of that conversation. Right. It's very different than working the Google system, if you will, to create the perfect search terms or collection of search terms in what can very quickly become the opposite of English. <laughs> right. And it's been shown time again that people are just hardwired to seek patterns and sometimes identify intelligence where like no intelligence exists. Uh, you ever watch someone accuse a video game of cheating? <laughs> and you're like, they totally do though. <laughs> that's the thing. Like if you play a, a video game for any period of time and you feel like you're being treated unfairly, you start building up this mental model of how there's an adversary within the video game that has enough intelligence to cheat cheat you out of what you do. And that's not what's happening at all. It's just that you're bad at the game. Right. <laughs> or you got tired or you made a mistake. I mean, there are sometimes glitches do happen and everything, but it's right. not. But it's not, not intentional. There's no right. like intelligence behind it beyond the basic programming of that video game. And I think if we can find and accuse a like a basic video game like Pong of intelligence, then it's not very hard for us to find and accuse or suppose that there's intelligence behind something like ChatGBT. But the phrase I really like that I came across is that AI is a stochastic parrot. It's it's just repeating back what it finds. Right. And we train it we train it with positive reinforcement like you would a parrot. Every time it says X, you give it a cracker. And that, that LLM really wants that cracker. So it's going to spit back what it thinks you want to hear. Or a response that it gets a good indicator from. And to us, it feels like a natural conversation. But it has no context or awareness beyond that moment and that conversation. 
Right. And that's one of the reasons I have a hard time referring to it in a serious way as as AI. And I know we're going to get to that, but just as a just to level set a little bit more, Chat GPT stands for generative pre-trained transformer. Which right. means that you get nothing from the model without it being trained. You have to give it all of the words, which is one of the reasons so many of the controversies come around, right? Where we're, you know, effectively strip mining creatives and and public works and, um, you know, incredibly legitimate and, and reasonable sources of truth like Reddit mm -hmm. in order to give the system all of the words that it wants and needs to create what is effectively a really super duper complicated Markov chain. Right. And now that ChatGPT4 is available, it's just got more data loaded into it. It's more pre-trained. So the responses are getting are seeming to get even better. But you're still just working with a quicker, bigger stochastic parrot. Like it's right. it's still not general intelligence or even intelligence to a certain degree. But of yeah, course and that's the other that's the other alley that we don't need to go down is the philosophical model of what is intelligence really oh god no let's let's not do that i think i had a note in here somewhere about that but <clears throat> the point is that if we're go if we're looking for human type intelligence that is not what this thing is doing right people are are, are freaking out a little bit in part because you have breathless pieces from like the new york times where they're talking about chat GPT told me to leave my wife. And it's like, no, dude, but clearly you do want to leave your wife. <laughs> like, it's not just a parrot. It's also a mirror sometimes. Um, <laughs> that was such a stupid piece. But, you know, there are also genuine ethical concerns that come could come in. And so somebody started a bunch of academics, got a bunch of famous people to sign a thing that calls for a six-month moratorium on development of new models. So not stopping the use or existence of, ex of current models, but not generating new models until we can develop a robust set of standards, uh, both ethical and technical for these uh, large language models. And of course, no one's going to do that. Microsoft's right. not going to be like, oh, pump the brakes on our billion-dollar investment because these, like, thousand academics are worried. Yeah, that was – that we don't just waste $10 billion on something that was never going to happen. What do we look like, Facebook? Oh, I was going to say, what do we look like, Bing? Oh, <laughs> oh. So, I mean, that's kind of where we're at in terms of context, and especially if you're listening to this in the future. Now, now you know where we were at in – April of 2023. So that's kind of where we're at. But the thing is, for all the brouhaha over AI, it's not very good. Um, so a couple things that I want to bring up that I have noticed and other people have noticed about AI is that it is terrible with things like nuance, context, and common sense in part because right. it doesn't have any common sense. At least, like, so what we think of as common sense, and, I mean, feel free to insert your own thoughts on this, but what I think of as common sense is really just stuff that you've learned through experience and developed a sense for over time. So 
once you've reached a certain age, you've had enough of the same common experiences that other people do that you all kind of have the same approach or behaviors for a given set of stimuli because, yeah, no, that's just common sense. Obviously, you wouldn't walk down the middle of the street in rush hour because, like, I, I have a breadth of knowledge that tells me that the street will be busy that that time of day. Getting hit by a car will kill me, and cars don't always stop for pedestrians. So, therefore, I should not walk down the middle of the street. Right. AI, it doesn't have that. No way. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, a really simple parallel to that is the early, early days of things like Google and Apple Maps. The fastest way for you to get from point A to point B is directly through the middle of this lake. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. Like when we were when the early GPS apps were out there, they struggled to have an understanding of roads and what was what was permissible for a car. Right. And a lot of the reason that GPS got better was because the maps got better. It's not that the models got better. It's that the inputs were tweaked to work better with the model that it was being handed to. And I was going to get to this in a minute, but I, I think this is probably the easiest time to bring it up. If you look at something that's similar, like self-driving vehicles, the thing about self-driving vehicles is they perform really well at just the mechanics of driving. Right. But when you put them in a situation where they have to deal with the vagaries of reality, they're bad. And the reason they're bad is because they don't do deal well with novel concepts that they never encountered before. They have no common sense to fall back on. So their behavior becomes very unpredictable when they do encounter something new. And the chances of them encountering something new once they're released out of whatever tightly controlled bubble they're in is like extremely high. They're going to encounter something new within moments. Right. <laughs> and the thing is the way a human would deal with it is fine. That a human has enough built up experience to proceed in a way that is somewhat safe. I mean, not that humans are perfect drivers. We're definitely not. Uh, but we at least can deal with a new situation and have some reasoning about it based off of, you know, 10, 15, 100, uh, not 100, but like 30, 40 years of driving experience. You're like, okay, that's new, but I can deal with it. Whereas an AI is like, I'll just drive the car right into a ditch. That seems fine. Or that's, a tree. Or a tree. Or a tree in a ditch. Why <laughs> choose? So uh, I think that's a good example of the limitations of AI in that particular realm. But we can take those same limitations and apply them to what ChatGPT is doing with its whatever it produces from the prompts. It also completely lacks context and completely lacks common sense. And that's why you get results where you ask it what's two plus two and it says five. Or it gaslights you saying that it's 2022 when it's clearly 2023. And it's not gaslighting you. It just doesn't know. Right. I think in yeah. part the chat GPT thing was it was trained on data that ended in 2022 or something. So it lit for it. It is literally still 2022. I think 2021 to be specific. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a, it is a problem, especially since people, I think, have a misunderstanding of what's going on. It doesn't learn. 
It has been trained. Yeah. This is it. Exactly. Until they release the next edition of the model, no new information will be forthcoming. And this is also, you know, the danger the danger is that it requires so much text. And there's nothing proofing that text. Mm-hmm. Well, what goes into it? Like I said, some of the biggest pieces of uh, um, t- training data that came into these systems were Reddit and Quora. This is a problem. Yeah, because why do you think we get text. so many incorrect answers that are offered with such authority? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that's the other problem. Uh, not the other. That is another problem: is the confidence with which it writes its answers. And this is a problem, I think, um, just about text in general. And what I mean by that is if you've ever had a text conversation with a human being that went completely sideways for reasons that you did not understand until like 45 minutes later when you were like, oh, no, that was interpreted as X and I meant to say Y. Right. Something that would absolutely not happen in person because humans – communicate with more than just words um, in most cases. But when it's just text and that is all you have, none of that other stuff comes into play. You start to make immediate assumptions that are at a high degree of confidence. Right. And the fact that you're talking to what the media has puffed up into effectively uh, the world's new oracle – not Larry Ellison's Oracle, the old kind of Oracle, the <laughs> kind that's actually always right. It leads you to a situation where you just accept the words that come through the screen immediately without any critical thinking of your own. Someone made a joke a couple of days ago because it was April Fool's. And they're like, this is the one day of the year that people actually read text critically. <laughs> Not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Should apply that to every year um, or every day. So I, I've heard some things that I've been listening to. Um, we'll talk about, well, this is just the first generation, which A, no, it's not. This is not the first generation of LLMs. They've been around for a while. But the, the excuse that is made is like, well, this is just, it just needs additional training, right? If it says two plus two equals five today, then we can put in a training rule that says, do your math properly. We can add that in. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But then it becomes kind of like whack-a-mole. And so their argument is we're going to take this to the next level. Right now it's just generating text that you want to see, but it's not checking the veracity of any of it. But we can layer that on. We can layer on that it'll start checking its own work and revising it based off of that. And I feel like that's hitting the same level as the whole self-driving thing where we have the basic level where it can operate a vehicle, but it's not great at it because it doesn't understand context and common sense, and neither do our large language models. And now we're saying that we can build on top of that what's a very shaky foundation to begin with, this additional level of interpretation of its own data and get to something that is correct and serviceable. And it hasn't worked for self-driving yet, and I don't see it working for... Uh, these language generation models either. Right. And, yeah, the other thing in terms of why people get 
those types of thoughts about how this is just absolutely going to be correct and I should listen to it all the time is like we said before, um, the fact that it communicates in what feels like natural language. You know, this is the same reason that we liked to use Ask Jeeves for a hot minute there back in the <laughs> 90s and 2000s. He's my butler, my internet butler. He buttles. Yeah, those types of things are what we have to be aware of. Um, the thing that's interesting, if you watch, if you're, if you're asking some questions, ChatGPT crushes it. If you ask that question 10 different ways, there is a chance you will get 10 different answers. So they're like economists, is what you're saying. <laughs> so it's too easy. Yeah. So the one application that I think does make sense, I won't say the one. So if you're just trying to get a foundational body of text to work with, a rough, like a pre-rough draft, here, ChatGPT, let me give you an outline. You write like the first draft for me, and then I'm going to go over it and revise it to be in my voice and also correct all the things you got wrong. Like, I feel like that's where we're at right now. You can give well, me Or a you run. can just be BuzzFeed and just publish it. Or you can do that. Well, I think <clears throat> obviously the system is rife for abuse, right? If all your, if you're only trying to just generate more effective spam, it's going to be good enough for that. Sure. Yeah, that's actually an interesting use case, uh, especially because shorter and punchier is something that ChatGPT is going to be stronger at. Um, there were some people hypothesizing that spam and phishing campaigns are going to get ever more intricate because of the understanding of marketing A and also being able to write in what feels like much more perfect and persuasive English. Well, you certainly have the case where a lot of spam feels like it was written by a non-native English speaker. Right. And ChatGPT could fix that by them just using that and feeding it what they want it to say in whatever level of English they're comfortable with. And it will then spin back something that is much more natural sounding to a native speaker. So that's and dangerous. that's where you also get into the problem of um, the ethics of AI. And that is they do make attempts in the model to basically tell ChatGPT, do no harm. So there are rules against it writing spam for you. And it will come back and say, I'm sorry, I am not allowed to write what seems like a malicious email or something like that. Right, sure. But all you have to do is futz with it. Mm. And eventually you convince GPT that it's not spam, it's marketing. <laughs> and it'll do it. <laughs> I like that um, you confidently say that as if there's a difference. <laughs> I saw something similar to uh, a little bit more severe of a situation. I saw something similar where a security researcher convinced ChatGPT to write code that would seek out errors in Active Directory. Hmm. And this code should not have worked because effectively it was malware. Right. But again, you fiddle with it enough, you trick GPT into thinking that it's doing research. I think was the way that this uh, – and I'll, I'll try to dig up this link because this was actually a pretty interesting thing. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't know enough about what it's doing to make a qualified statement about this is going to be used for evil. Right. And I'm not positive how we go about training that. 
I mean, there's plenty of people that have been taken in by con men and grifters and whatnot uh, under similar circumstances. So I, it's, that's just part of the human condition as well. I don't know if we can train that out of a, out of a model. Um, though I was thinking about <clears throat> what if you had a body of text that was verified and well-defined and was in an industry or a sector of an industry that had pretty specific rules that chat GPT or something similar could follow, would that now be a scenario, a much more controlled environment where AI does work well and shine? And the first thing I thought of was like lawyers. Sure. Lawyers have hundreds of years of case law. It's a body of work that has been verified and is, I'll put this in air quotes, correct. And it has a lot of procedural rules that an AI can follow and templates for it to go with. So I feel like the law industry could really make use of or be shooken up by AI. Um, yeah, and there's been attempts to do things like that already that have been vociferously shot down by those same self-same lawyers. Um, but I right. think you're absolutely right. One of the, the obvious solutions to where do we use AI in meaningful ways is in less and less general and more and more specific use cases where the training doesn't have to be 65 billion whatevers. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're saying, even if we use every single piece of case law and commentary that has ever been written, it's not going to be as big as ChatGPT's training data. Right. But whatever that industry is, it still needs to be text heavy in nature. Because it right. needs something to learn from. And so something like law or uh, I'm trying to think of something else that's really, well, I mean, media, <laughs> writing news articles. Wow, look at that. And it doesn't <laughs> even have to be right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, anything that is super text heavy today is definitely ripe for disruption by AI. And so if I were you know, working in a very text heavy environment that was super specialized, I might be a little concerned. Like if I was... Um, a programmer, perhaps. <laughs> uh, and maybe that can take us to uh, to the last section that I had in my notes, which is um, solipsism. Because what about me? What does it mean for me, Chris? Um, well, I mean, if you use AI in your life, then you'll finally have some intelligence. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, did, did ChatGPT write that for you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, words to insult Ned with. Oh, look at that. Um, so I thought, I started thinking, well, you know, I'm not using ChatGPT today, right? Like, I'm not using AI. And then I was like, no, no, I am. And so I started thinking about all the different ways. And I thought I would kind of talk through them a little bit and then see what parallels you've drawn from what you're doing. Because you do, like, actual work, and I just do nothing for a living. I, I'm going to say it before you do. Um, so basically my job is to create content and teach, right? That's the whole of my job. Um, and so I actually use AI more than I thought, the more I considered it. Um, so for like chaos lever, for instance, all of the thumbnail images are generated by, well, it depends on which service is working at the moment, <laughs> but it could be Dolly, uh, it could be mid journey, um, 
Those are the two I use the most often, but I use that to generate the images. Before I would have tried to create that thumb thumbnail myself and I'm not good at graphical design. So that's definitely a benefit. I could potentially farm that out to somebody else, uh, but I don't have to pay um, Dolly. So right. that, yeah. Um, I write a lot of scripts for things. I write scripts for this show. I write scripts for my YouTube channel. I write scripts for videos that I create, my Pluralsight courses. And I have Copilot enabled in VS Code. And it's enabled for Markdown. So when I'm writing in Markdown and writing a script, it does suggest not only sentences, but entire blocks of text, which are like mostly wrong. <laughs> Sometimes they're right. So I'm definitely using that as a text suggestion and actually finishes sentences a lot for me. Because once you have like the first half of a sentence written, it's kind of obvious where it's going. <laughs> sure. So it's just like, oh, yeah, that's what I meant. And sometimes it's not the exact word order I would use. So I'll go back and, and revise that. But then, you know, that's I use it for that. Uh, I also have to create a lot of code for demos. And so I've started using it initially just Copilot to have it. It will suggest a block of a script once it sees where that function or whatever is heading. It, it'll kind of suggest something. And even if it's not right, it's easier to accept it and then go back and tweak it then typing it all out myself. So it's it's kind of like what autocomplete already did, but then a little bit better. And recently I've started using ChatGPT and just prompting it to generate stuff like Terraform configurations as a baseline. So I'll just say, I create a Terraform configuration that has these five resources in it and it will spit out a full config. Is it 100% right? No. Can I copy and paste it and then change it a little bit? Yeah, and like, Again, it's it's lowering the amount of work I have to do. So it's making me more efficient as one person. And I guess we also kind of use AI to transcribe the podcast. I don't know if I would call it necessarily AI, but I guess why not? We're we're using that term as a, just an umbrella term anyway. So yeah, I use uh, HappyScribe. We just load the MP3 in and it'll spit out a transcript. The accuracy is probably like 80%. But it's close enough that someone could read it and get the gist of what we're talking about. And it's significantly cheaper than having someone actually hand transcribe it. Right. So Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of those that exist. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I guess really for all of this stuff, because it really is a glorified Markov chain, we should have been saying AI slash ML this entire time. Sure. Because that's really what it is, is machine learning. To a large part, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think those are all, I mean, those are probably the most common safe uses for these types of technologies. Um, the only other one I was going to add, and we'll talk about it in a little bit more interesting depth in a second, is there are some things that exist that will take notes for you in meetings. Mm. As in, it will do not just a simple transcript like what you were talking about, but actually try to summarize, try to say, you know, this this person said A, um, but this person replied with B, and that means that you probably need to follow up with C, creating a task out of a suggested task out of the meeting for you. So I have not actually used this myself, but I know a couple of people that do use different products that, that do that type of thing. Um, Pretty sure otter.ai yep. is one that's pretty popular that that's does the one this. I've heard of. Yeah. 
So curious to see how that goes, because one of the things that would be really great about that, if it's taking notes that we all agree upon, that means nobody has to be distracted taking notes, part one. And part two, everybody works off of a common memory and a common uh, output of, of whatever the meeting said. Sure. And that's, you know, in theory, what people, you should have a dedicated person taking notes in the meeting so you can have that. But oftentimes that's not the case. Right. So looking over the things that it can do from a content creation standpoint to assist me with creating stuff, it can make me more efficient and more effective, but it certainly cannot replace me at this point. I'm, I still need to be the voice on the podcast or the person talking in the video. Like we haven't crossed that uncanny valley yet where it, it would be a, okay or satisfactory to have something computer generated doing any of that. So yeah. And the things that, I mean, there are things that do exist that attempt to do that. And first of all, they cost thousands of dollars in order to get even, you know, a minute or two of video. Sure. And if you look them up, they're they're available on YouTube. Um, you can tell that they're just not right. <laughs> it, really it seems like it's unlistenable. I actually played around with, I forget the service name, but I played around with one that would generate a video based off of a script. And it would use like an AI person, but it was supposed to look almost realistic. And I found that, first of all, the mouth didn't sync up with the words when it sent me the video, you were capped at something like uh, 250 words or something. It did not line up and the person didn't look realistically like they were speaking either. So it was very clear that it was like early days for that. Sure. But also like if you, are you going to program in all the micro, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of aggressions, the, not aggressions, expressions. I kept, the, I kept thinking aggressions. I was like, that's not right. All like the micro expressions that someone makes when they're talking that gives you, like you said, a better idea of what they are intending because we read body language. We also read just like someone's tone of voice. So it ha are you going to write the intonation in there or is it going to infer it from the text? And how do you guide it if it gets it wrong? Right. Like, the thing about any of these different products and features is they have to make it better or more convenient for the people that are consuming them. And if they fail to do that, they'll fail as products for the most part, unless your enterprise adopts them and makes you use it. But like as an individual where I have autonomy over what tools I choose to use, it needs to be a net win for me in terms of time or productivity, or I'm either going to farm it out to somebody else or do it myself. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of these products that do exist um, are very, very early in their development. They will be limited in their effectiveness, especially at first. And what we will see is a massive culling of the products that are out there. Mm -hmm. We do not need thousands of discrete AI um, software packages. And just that's the natural thing that happens whenever something becomes the next big thing. Everybody rushes to get there. And then fast forward 36 months and 90% of them have gone by the wayside. Right. 
But I will say the major difference between this and that's probably like the, the closing argument here, not even argument, but like the closing thought, the major difference between this and something like Web3 and NFTs and crypto and all that is that this actually provides utility to people. It's providing a value and a service. Right. Crypto and all that garbage was not. That was just <laughs> pure speculation and betting and we're all poorer for it. So while I think it's important to keep an eye on how things proceed with AI and try to approach it in an ethical manner, I think there is actual utility and good that can come out of it if we do it right. Eventually. Eventually. Lightning round? Sure. Okay. Microsoft announces a new Teams client with, drumroll please, a lot of AI. There it is. This just in from the, didn't we hear about this in 2020 as well, department? Microsoft announces a new release of the Teams client with two times the amount of performance. The tool has been rebuilt, quote, from the ground up and will also include the likely new standard of, quote, a bunch of AI. Teams, as you may now know, is by far the most widely used chat, video, productivity, whatever you want to call it, client in the business world. It has also quickly become the only business client some companies want or need outside of Outlook. The new tool's premium version, um, only available in public preview at the moment, will include AI features such as intelligent recap, where Teams automatically summarizes meetings for you and creates suggested task lists, live translations for captions, and additional Copilot for 365 features. When released, Teams Premium will be available for a 30-day free trial, after which its MSRP will be $10 per user per month. That's how they get you, finally, paying for Teams. <laughs> Wi-Fi standards aren't standard enough. The Wi-Fi you use every day is meant to adhere to the IEEE 802.11 standard, defining what to implement on a given vendor's Wi-Fi gear. Now, while the standard defines the what, sometimes it's a little light on the how, and that ambiguity leaves room for security flaws, such as the one discovered by researchers at Northeastern University. The so-called crook with two zeros instead of O's, because we're hackers attack takes advantage of how a wireless router handles buffered frames when a device goes into sleep mode and then reawakens. An attacker can spoof a power save frame to the router and then issue an authenticate associate frame to restart transmission. Queued frames on the router are then sent either in a non-encrypted form or with a key that was inserted by the attacker. The exploit depends heavily on how both the client and router handle the negotiation of security keys. Fortunately, you can protect yourself simply by using TLS for your network communications wherever possible. There's, <clears throat> there's also a tool called Mac Stealer, as in Mac address, not Mac the computer, and it will test your network for vulnerability. Patches from your wireless vendor of choice will be forthcoming, so as we always say, patch early, patch often, and use a VPN when out and about. 
The humble barcode celebrates its 50th birthday. Yay. Well, so, sort of. The original patent for the barcode was registered in 1952, but the technology got bounced around in research for 20-odd years until it achieved its final form in 1973. It was the utility of the barcode that really took so long to get ironed out. To be useful, barcodes needed to be equally effective for large and small products, as well as solid materials like boxes and flexi ones like bags of potato chips. In 1974, the commercial version of the barcode was finally used on its very first product, a multi-pack of Wrigley's Juicy Fruit Gum. These days, there's a single company, Global Standard One, that manages globally unique barcodes for north of 2 million companies and just astonishingly large number of products. Pretty clever what they were able to do with just a few thicker and thinner lines, right? Yeah. It's likely that the barcode's days of dominance are numbered, though. Improvements in both materials and printing, as well as laser scanner accuracy, has allowed the QR code to take over. And it's likely that trend will continue. GS1 anticipates a new QR-based barcode to be in widespread use by 2027. You know, the original barcode model was actually circular instead of bar. You're a circle. And it worked terribly. <laughs> Will Magnon enter our lexicon? You've certainly heard of electronics, moving around electrons, and maybe heard of photonics. That's moving around photons. But I bet you've never heard of magnonics. Guess what it deals with? I bet ICP knows. It's magnets. Sandwiches. <laughs> no, it's magnets. How they have to do they work? Oh. More specifically, the amount of energy required to change a material's magnetization using a spin wave. Essentially, magnons can use spin waves instead of electrons to transport data and encode data on receptive materials. According to Dirk Grundler, head of the Lab of Nanoscale Magnetic Materials and Magnonics in EPFL, Switzerland, Magnonic methods could be used to bypass the Van Neumann bottleneck that exists between computation and memory, allowing computing to occur directly on non-volatile memory. The lab has successfully demonstrated using spin waves on a wafer of yttrium? Yttrium? I don't know. Sure. It begins with Y and it's weird. Iron garnet to encode ones and zeros with magnetic, magnetic states. Obviously, there's a long road between this discovery and any commercial application, but it's always neat to see what might be next after the humble silicon wafer. State of Colorado considering striking down laws that prohibit community broadband. Woo. There are a ton of laws out there that were bought by the likes of AT&T, Verizon, and Comcast that flat out disallow cities and towns from building broadband to serve their populace. Because why would citizens want cheap good service when they can have the other ones <laughs> instead? The rules in Colorado have been similar since 2005, but with a lot of towns opting out to great success. Now, Colorado is looking to reevaluate the law entirely. And by reevaluate, 
I mean cause it to cease to be. The state would join Washington and Arkansas in getting rid of these anti-competitive initiatives. If it passes, there would still be 17 states that prohibit community broadband for absolutely no reason, including, sadly, the home state of this podcast, Pennsylvania. Probably doesn't have anything to do with Comcast being located in Philadelphia. Boo, I say. Boo. The UK may block Broadcom takeover of VMware. Last year, Broadcom and VMware entered into a $61 billion acquisition agreement. In fact, we covered that news on Chaos Lever and lamented the lack of innovation and likely fate of rent extraction that VMware would be subject to. Turns out, we weren't the only ones with similar concerns as the U.S., UK, and EU have all threatened to launch investigative panels to scrutinize the deal and its impact on consumers. Last week, the UK's antitrust regulator made good on that threat, announcing that it would launch a deeper investigation into the proposed acquisition. The Competition and Markets Authority is concerned about several aspects of the merger, including the possibility of Broadcom removing VMware compatibility with other hardware vendors and Broadcom's access to privileged data vendors have shared with VMware to ensure compatibility. While I don't think either of those scenarios are likely, I do think that this delay, along with expected investigations from other governmental bodies, might be the death blow for this acquisition. And good. Hey, thanks for listening or something. I guess you found it worthwhile enough if you made it all the way to the end. So congratulations to you, friend. You accomplished something today. Now ponder the deep mysteries of how an Italian plumber became one of the world's most recognizable symbols. Super weird. You've earned it. You can find me or Chris on Twitter at Ned1313 and at Hainer80 respectively, or follow the show at Chaos underscore Lever if that's the kind of thing you're into. Show notes and the sign up for our newsletter are available at ChaosLever.com. We'll be back next week to see what fresh hell is upon us. Ta-ta for now. Surely you remember uh, that famous Italian plumber's full name, right? I don't, and stop calling me Shirley. Well, now I'm not going to tell you. Good. I didn't want to know. It's Mario J. Plummer, isn't it? No, it's Mario Mario. Oh, God, that's worse. <laughs>